Star Wars, The Han Solo Adventures by Brian Daly, read by Alec Bowles. Han Solo's Revenge 7. This vessel is a fraud, Spray announced, keying his next move into the game board in the Millennium Falcon's forward compartment. Chewbacca took just enough time from what he was doing, analyzing Spray's unorthodox stratagem to snarl threateningly. Spray, who had grown more used to the Wookiee's outbursts, didn't flinch much at all. He was dividing his time between the compartment's technical station and the game board, giving the Falcon's first mate a very difficult match while running a combination inventory and inspection of the ship out of a sense of duty to Interstellar Collections Limited. Chewbacca permitted it more to keep the skip tracer busy than anything else, but this slandering of the Falcon, if unchecked, could only lead to retribution. Come to think of it, the Wookiee reflected, the Tynan wasn't a bad technical pilot. He had even assisted on the liftoff from Bonadan. Once Chewbacca had judged that Han and Fiola had won enough time to get off-world, Spray had co-piloted and aided in hyperspace transition with a fussy proficiency, though he'd been startled to learn that Han and Chewbacca habitually spaced by themselves, Han reaching back to his left to carry out navigator's chores, and the Wookiee leaning to his right to run the combo board when needed. The exterior is a deception, Spray was continuing. Why, some of the equipment you've installed is restricted to military youth. Are you aware of that? And her armament rating's way too high, as is her lift-mass ratio. How did Captain Solo ever get a waiver to operate within the authority? The Wookiee, cupping his hirsute chin in both hands, leaned down even closer to the game board, ignoring the question. Even if he had been able to communicate eloquently with Spray, he wouldn't have explained about the waiver, which had involved an amazing variety of law-breaking and the total destruction of the covert authority facility known as Star's End. Miniature holo-monsters waited on the circular game board, throwing challenges to one another. Chewbacca's defenses had been penetrated by a lone combatant from Spray's forces. The question of external versus internal threat was a very subtle one, involving closely matched win-lose parameters. The Wookiee's nose scrunched in thought. He reached a hairy finger out very slowly and punched his next move up on the game's keyboard, then reclined on the curving acceleration couch, arm pillowing his head, his long legs crossed. With his free hand, he scratched his other arm, which the somatogenerative effect of the flaking synth flesh had made itchy. Uh-oh, blurted Blue Max, who was following the contest from his habitual place in Bollocks's open thorax. The droid sat on a pressure keg among the other clutter to one side of the compartment, amid plastic pallets hoisting toggles, and a rebuilt fuel enricher that Han hadn't gotten around to installing yet. The computer probe's photoreceptor swiveled to track on spray as the Tynan returned to the board and made his next move without hesitation. Spray's lone combatant had been a decoy. Now, one of his supporting monsters slithered across the board and, after a brief battle, threw Chewbacca's defenses wide open. 
It's the eighth Ilthmar Gambit. He drew you out with that loner. He's got you, Blue Max observed helpfully. Chewbacca was filling his lungs for a vituperative outpouring and levering himself up to the board again when the Nava computer clamored for attention. The starship's first mate forgot his ire and scrambled up from the acceleration couch, but not before he cleared the board of his humiliating defeat. He hastened off to prepare for the reversion to normal space. And just look at this. Some of these systems are fluidic. Spray squeaked after him, whiskers a-quiver, waving a tech readout screen. What is this? A starship or a distillery? The Wookiee paid him no heed. Good game, Spray, attested Max, who was himself a fair player. He held me for three extra moves, admitted the skip tracer. I wish things were going as well with this technical survey. Everything's so modified that I can't trace the basic specifications. Maybe we can help, Max piped brightly. Max is conversant with the ship's systems, Bollock said. He might be able to dig out the information you require. Just what I need. Please, step over to the tech station. Spray was behind the droid, webbed feet scrabbling on the deck plates, pushing him to a seat at the station. As Bollocks sat heavily into the acceleration chair, Max extended an adapter, the one Chewbacca had repaired after the encounter with the slavers. I'm in, Max announced as technical readouts began marching across scopes and screens at high speed. What do you want to know, Spray? All data on recent jumps. You can patch into the Nava computer. I want to see how the ship's been operating. You mean accuracy factors and power levels? Max asked in his childish voice. I mean hyperspace jumps, date-time coordinates, all relevant information. It'll give me the simplest evaluation of how the ship performs and what she's worth. There was a momentary hesitation. It's no use, Max told Spray. Captain Solo's got all that stuff protected. He and Chewbacca are the only ones with access. Exasperated, Spray pursued. Can't you find a window to it? I thought you were a computer probe. Max achieved a wounded tone. I am? But I can't do something like this without the captain's permission. Besides, if I make a mistake, the safeguards will wipe everything clean. As the Tynan sat and stewed, Bollocks drawled. As I understand it, a general examination would begin with things like power systems maintenance records, and so forth. Would you like Blue Max to run a thorough check of current status? Spray seemed distracted. Eh? Oh, yes. Yes, that would be fine. Then he sat, buck-toothed, chin poised on a stubby paw, stroking his whiskers in concentration. Whoops, chirped Max. What do you suppose that is? Whatever it is wasn't there when we did the pre-flight warm-up. The skip tracer suddenly became attentive. What are you... Oh, that power drop? Hmm, that's a minor conduit on the outer hull, isn't it? Now what could be draining power there? Nothing in design schematics or mod specs, Max assured him. I think we should tell Chewbacca. Spray, never one to trust the unexplained, was inclined to agree. 
Yielding to the skip tracer's nervous exhortations, the Wookiee left the cockpit only under protest and seated himself at the tech station. But when he saw evidence of the highly improbable power drain, his thick red-gold brows beetled and his leathery nostrils dilated reflexively, trying to catch a whiff of what was wrong. He turned and brayed an interrogative at Spray, who had been around the Wookiee long enough to understand that much. I haven't a clue, the skip tracer answered stridently. Nothing in this slapdash ship makes any sense to me. She looks like a used load lifter, but she's got higher boost than an Imperial cruiser. I don't even care to think about how jury-rigged some of those reroutings must be. At Chewbacca's order, Blue Max showed him, on a computer model, exactly which length of the conduit was experiencing drainage. The Wookiee marched to the tool locker, withdrew a work light, a scanner and a huge spanner, and continued on aft with spray and bollocks bringing up the rear. Near the engine shielding, the Falcon's first mate removed a wide inspection plate and wormed himself down into the crawl space there. He had even less room than normal. A good deal of the fluidic systems had been installed here. He barely managed to turn his wide shoulders and squeeze the scanner in by the hull. He played its invisible tracer beam over the metal, watching the monitor carefully. At last, he found the spot where, on the other side of the hull, the power conduit was showing droppage. It didn't look like any malfunction he had ever seen. There should be no reason for the conduit simply to lose power. Something must be drawing it from the conduit. But Chewbacca could think of nothing that would do so. Unless, of course, something had been added. In a moment, he was wriggling his way back out of the crawl space like an enormous red-gold-brown larva, honking his distress. Bollocks's vocoder and Max's vied with Spray's high-strung squeak, demanding to know what was wrong. Sweeping them out of his way with one wide swing of his arm, Chewbacca headed for the storage compartment where his oversized spacesuit was stored. The Wookiee detested the confinement of a suit and loathed even more the idea of clambering along the hull and undertaking delicate and dangerous work while protected from the annihilation of hyperspace only by the thin envelope of the Falcon's drive field. But more than that, he dreaded what he believed he would find on the other side of the hull. The decision was taken out of his hands. There was a loud plew. Out of the still-open inspection port came a burst of flame and explosive force along with gases and vaporized liquids from the fluidic components. There followed a sustained whistle of air that let them know the vessel had been holed, confirming the Wookiee's worst fears. During the ground time on Bonadan, someone, most probably the enemies waiting for Han and Fiola, had taken precautionary measures to ensure that the Millennium Falcon wouldn't escape. They had fastened a sleeper bomb to the starship's hull where it would do the worst damage. It had been applied inert, unpowered, undetectable, except by the most minute inspection. Once in flight, it had become active, draining power from the ship's systems to build its explosion. 
Then it had released in a shaped charge and blown out control systems in flight. The device was meant to produce the cleanest possible kind of murder, one that would leave no evidence, blasting the ship and all it contained into meaningless energy anomalies in hyperspace. Chewbacca and Spray were driven back by the multicolored reek belching from the ruptured fluidics. Unprotected, they could be killed as easily by breathing those concentrated gases as by a miscalculated transition. But bollocks could get along quite well where they couldn't. They saw the droid clank through the billowing smoke, lugging a heavy extinguisher he had pulled from a wall niche. Chewbacca had occasion now to curse the same auto-firefighting gear that had saved them all on lure. The system's inability to operate now might spell their deaths. Bollocks' chest panels closed protectively over Blue Max, even as he set the extinguisher down and lowered himself stiffly into the crawl space. His gleaming body poorly suited to an area designed for limber living creatures. Once he had entered the space, his lengthy arm reached back out to drag the extinguisher after him. There was still the shriek of escaping air and the whoop of warning sirens to tell them the Falcon was depressurizing. Chewbacca had run for the cockpit with spray crowding behind. At the control console, he kicked in filtration systems full all to carry away toxic fumes and checked damage indicators. The bomb must have been relatively small, placed in a precise location by someone who knew stock freighters like the Falcon well. The Wookiee realized it before spray. Whoever had planted the sleeper bomb hadn't been aware of the starship's tread-boarded fluidic setup. With the control design radically altered, the bomb had failed to do a complete job of rendering the starship derelict. Transition to normal space was imminent. Without taking time to seat himself, Chewbacca reached over his seat and worked at the console. At least some of the fluidics were functioning. Hyperspace parted around the freighter like an infinite curtain. The Falcon's first mate bellowed an angry imprecation at the universe's sense of timing, picked Spray up bodily, and deposited him in the pilot's seat, bade a string of uninterpreted instructions while pointing at the planet Amud, which had just appeared before them, and tore off in the direction of the explosion. He paused long enough to pick up a hull patch kit and a respirator. Hunkering down over the inspection plate, he saw Bollocks sitting in the midst of shards and fragments of fluidic tubing and microfilament. The fire had been quelled. The shriek of escaping air had stopped. Bollocks had firmly planted his durable back against the breach, an adequate sort of temporary seal. The labor droid looked up and was relieved to see Chewbacca. The hole is rather large, sir. I'm not sure how long my thorax will withstand the pressure. Also, the armor surrounding the breach is cracked. I suggest using the largest patch you have. Chewbacca analyzed the thorny problem of getting bollocks out of the crawl space and simultaneously plugging the hole. He settled on the plan of preparing two patches, one smaller and lighter that could be set in place quickly, and the other a sturdy plate, that would hold up even against the massive force exerted by the Falcon's air pressure toward the utter vacuum outside. 
He handed the smaller patch down to Bollocks and yipped instructions, gesturing to make himself understood, frustrated that he'd never mastered basic. But the droid grasped what he meant and gathered himself for the effort. Using the agility of his special suspension system and his simian arms, Bollocks managed to push himself free, swing around, and slap the patch into place in rapid sequence. He swarmed for the inspection opening, having seen that the temporary patch was trembling before the strain placed upon it. Chewbacca had seen it too and worried. The hole was bigger than he had thought. He reached down with both arms and hauled the droid up through the inspection opening. Just as he did, the patch gave way, sucked into nothingness so quickly that it seemed to vanish. With it went several jagged pieces, enlarging the hole. It was suddenly as if Chewbacca was standing in the middle of a wild river rapids, fighting raging currents of air that, in escaping the ship, were dragging him inexorably toward the hole. Scraps and loose debris swirled around and passed him and zipped down the inspection opening. Bracing the muscular columns of his legs on either side of the opening, the Wookiee fought to retain his hug on bollocks and resist that flood. The giant sinew of his back and legs felt as if it were about to come apart. He clutched the droid to him with one arm, bracing the other on the deck, sustaining himself on a tripod of arm and legs, head thrown back with effort. Bollocks recovered somewhat, only to find that in the position in which the Wookiee was holding him, he could do little to exert any force of his own. What he could and did do was grasp the corner of the inspection plate and swing it over on its pivot, something Chewbacca hadn't a free limb to accomplish. It almost jammed halfway, but with a final tug, the droid cleared it. Once it was past that point, the airflow caught it and hauled it shut with a ringing alarm. Fortunately, none of the Wookiee's fingers or toes were poised on the lip of the opening. The depressurization was confined to one small compartment for the time being. How serious that was remained to be seen. Chewbacca wanted to lie on the deck and catch his breath for a moment, but knew he didn't have the time. He squirted thick, gluey sealant all around the inspection plate, then paused long enough to pat Bollocks's cranium with a gruff compliment. It was Max who brought the inspection plate to my attention, said the droid modestly. Then he hauled himself to his feet and trailed off after Chewbacca, who had already dashed off toward the cockpit. There, Spray was engaged in an uncertain contest with the controls. We retain considerable guidance function, he reported, and I've put us on an approach path to the planet's only spaceport. I was about to alert them for an emergency landing under crash conditions. The Wookiee loudly countermanded that plan, dropping into his outsized co-pilot seat. He, like Han, shunned involvement and the consequent fuss or furor that could possibly be avoided. He found that the controls responded adequately and thought he stood a good chance of landing the freighter without sirens, crash wagons, stop netting, firefighting robos, and 10,000 official questions. Already in Amud's upper atmosphere, he brought the ship onto a steady approach path. Her hyperspace drive seemed to have suffered damage, 
but the rest of her guidance system responded with intolerance. Bollocks, who had just caught up, came up next to Chewbacca, his panels open. I think there's something you should know, sir. Blue Max just ran a quick check at the tech station. The damage has stabilized, but some of the filament tubing for the guidance systems has been exposed. Its housing was cracked. Will it blow? Spray asked. Below them, they could make out features of the terrain quite clearly. Amud was a world of immense forests and oceans with rather large polar ice caps. Max answered, It's not a question of blowing out spray. They're secure, but they're delicate, low-pressure filaments. Going too deep into the planet's atmosphere will implode them. You mean we can't land? Spray blinked. No, Bollocks replied calmly. He merely means that we can't land too deep in Amud's. The starship gave a convulsive shudder. Be careful, squawked the skip tracer to Chewbacca. This vessel is still in lean to Interstellar Collections Limited. Chewbacca gave out a vociferous growl. One of the control filaments had imploded, the planet's atmosphere having overcome the lesser pressure within it. The Wookiee snarled. Working to bypass the line, he had one bit of luck in that he could cut the ship's speed back to a very gentle descent. Atmosphere, Bollocks finished. How deep is that? Spray asked urgently. The terrain-following sensors had already shown them the planet's spaceport at the foot of a high mountain range. Not very much lower at all, sir, commented Bollocks in neutral tones. The Wookiee pulled the Falcon's bow higher and reset the terrain-following sensors to display the features of the mountain range beyond Amwood's spaceport. His plan was clear. Since he couldn't set down in the lower atmosphere, he would find as suitable a site as he could in the higher mountains and hope that the lower air pressure there wouldn't collapse the rest of the guidance system before he could set the ship down. He waved a shaggy paw at Bollocks and Spray, indicating the passageway. I believe he wants us to stow all loose gear and prepare for a rough landing, Bollocks told Spray. The two turned and began working their way along the passageway together frantically cramming loose items into storage lockers and securing their lids. They had reached the escape pods when Spray thought of something important. What about Captain Tholo? How will he know what's happened? I'm afraid I can't say, sir, Bollocks confessed. I see no way in which we can safely leave word for him without compromising ourselves to port officials. The skip tracer accepted that. By the way, I think there's some welding equipment in that second pod there. You'd better bring it out so that we can secure it. Bollocks obligingly leaned into the open pod. I don't see any. He felt an abrupt push from behind. Spray had worked up just enough momentum with a running start so that shoving with all his might, he toppled Bollocks into the pod. Find Solo! Spray yelled, and hit the release. Inner and outer hatches rolled down before the confused droid could get out another word. The pod was blown free by its separator charges. And as the falcon nosed up, driving for the higher mountains of Amud, 
the dumpy escape pod began its fall toward the spaceport. 